Chapter 7, Wednesday, May 29, 1776. The quote at the beginning is, I hired a girl to clean the house. It had a cartload of dirt in it. One of the chambers was used to keep poultry in, another sea coal, and another salt. You may conceive how it looked. The house is so exceeding damp, being shut up, that the floors are mildewed, the ceiling falling down, and the paper moldy and falling from the walls. That's a letter from Abigail Adams to her husband, John. The chapter begins. It was near a mile from the tea water pump back down the island to the Lockton house, a long journey carrying heavy buckets that stretched my arms into sore ribbons. I forgot the pain where Curzon stopped, pointed, and said, There it is. The house was made of blocks of cream-colored stone and was wider from side to side than Jenny's tavern. I tilted my head up and counted. Four floors, each with big windows facing the street. There were balcony railings on the roof. There were even windows peeking out at foot-level cellar windows, which meant five stories in one house. A curtain moved. Make haste, Curzon said. If you value your life, don't use the front door. The sun caught the ring in his ear and blazed as he tipped his hat to me. I hurried through the side gate. The mansion was twice as long as it was wide. A large plot stretched behind it with a cistern, a privy, a poor excuse for a garden, and at the far end, a carriage house and a small table. You there! I turned around. A tiny woman wearing a green calico skirt, a nut-brown bodice, and a dingy shift stood in the open door to the kitchen. She tossed a pan of dirty water into the flagstones and pushed a strand of graying hair out of her eyes with the back of her hand. What's your business here? she demanded. I'm Isabel. I'm the master locked and brought us from Newport. The anger drained out of her face. You're the new girl gone for the water. Lord help us. Did you get lost? I don't think so. Curzon. Funny little boy, ringing his ear. She shook her head. That Bellingham's boy. You stay away from him. Bring in that water. We've got a world of work to do. Her name was Becky Berry. Though it'll be mud if I don't pull this house together in a flash, she said as she poured the fresh water into a pot and swung it over the kitchen fire. She barely stopped talking long enough to draw a breath. Eight months. They vanished to Boston for eight months and then show up with no warning and wanting tea. Tea. I could get tarred and feathered for brewing tea, she muttered. She turned around. Her face marked her as being of middle years, dotted with freckles and pox scars. Her chin was narrow and pointed like a shovel, and her smile was missing several teeth. The rules here is simple. Do what Madam says. You know where the tea water pump is. You'll go there every day. You'll go with me to market when I need you to. Don't go north of Chamber Street or wandering off past Mulberry. I, Lest Madam writes you a pass. You don't want folks thinking you're trying to run. That don't work here. You been a housemaid before? I shook my head. We lived on a farm. Pardon me, ma'am, Miss Becky, but can you tell me where my sister is? Your what? Her eyebrows went up. Oh, that little girl. I nodded. Ruth. She's slow, ain't she? I didn't dare explain until I figured what kind of person Becky was. She's good-natured. Becky walked around into a pantry crowded with shelves of crockery. Not going to cause me trouble? Never, I lied. Where is she, please, ma'am? Becky came out carrying a tarnished silver teapot and a stack of china cups and plates. Madam Lockton told me to give this little one a bath and feed her. She went back to the pantry and shouted a little so I could hear her. She's in the privy, your sister, I mean, not the madam. I let out a long breath and stepped toward the door. Becky came carrying a small chest. Where do you think you're going? To fetch Ruth. 
Oh, no, you're not, Becky said. Madam wants her outside peeling potatoes. You're to work in here. But, through the window, I watched Ruth leave the privy and walk straight to a bench. She hopped on it, pulled a potato from the sack next to her, and started peeling with a small knife, her feet kicking in the air under the bench. She looked like a little bird on a twig. I relaxed some. She was safe and happy enough. Becky brushed at the cobwebs clinging to her skirt, but nothing. Sorry, but nothing. If Madam sees you idling and jawing out there, there'll be the devil to pay, she paused. She can be a harsh mistress to slaves. I waited for her to say more, but she shook her head once and handed me a broom. Me, I see things different. She picked up a pile of rags and a jar. You do what you're told and we'll get along fine. Now follow me and pay attention. Becky led me down a narrow narrow corridor to the front entry hall where a grand staircase curled upward. A tall grandfather clock sat at the foot of the stairs, pecking away at the hour as if a crow trapped inside were trying to break loose. The walnut linen chest that Madam had fussed over at the dock was set in front of the clock. Opposite the chest was the door that led to the street. Two other doors with tarnished brass pulls faced the hall. Becky pointed to the door on the right. That there's the master's library. You don't step foot in it without permission. He don't like his things touched. A library with books? And maps and papers all in a jumble. It's a wonder he can find anything. She opened the door on the left and entered me at her heels. This is the good parlor, where I'll serve the tea. The drawing room is upstairs. We'll clean up there later. Open them windows. The room was crowded with furniture, draped with cloth. The air was thick and stale. I pulled aside the heavy drapes and stretched on my toes to push up the window. The sills were dusty and the corners were spun thick with spiderwebs studded with dead flies. I went to open the next window as Becky laid out a rag on each sill. Wipe down the windows and sweep the floor before you uncover the furniture, she said. The second window was stubborn. I pushed as hard as I could until it suddenly flew up and I nearly lost my balance. Becky grabbed me before I tumbled outside. Easy on, she said as I regained my balance. You're no good to me with a cracked head. Three soldiers wearing homespun shirts and carrying muskets walked past the window, laughing loudly. I wish they'd all go home, Becky muttered. Soldiers is a nuisance. You don't like the rebels? I asked. Becky put a finger to her lips and pulled me away from the window. Listen to me good. Them that feed us, she pointed upstairs. They're loyalists, Tories. That means we're Tories too, understand? Yes, ma'am, I nodded, but... I hesitated, not sure if I was allowed to ask questions. Master Lockton claimed he was a patriot on the docks. Becky fought to open the final window. A cool breeze flowed through the room and stirred the dust. He was faking to protect his skin. Some folks switched back and forth. One day they're for the king, the next it's all liberty and freedom. Huzzah! A tribe of Mr. Facing Both Ways? That's what you'll find in New York. But you know what never changes? I shook my head. No, what? Madam wants lemon cakes with her tea. She is terribly fond of cakes, is Madam. Lady Clarissa Seymour is coming to hear all the news from Boston. A lady? A royal lady? Becky laughed. Close enough. She's the master's aunt. She's rich and old and owns land in three countries. The master hopes to inherit the lot when she dies, so they treat her like the queen herself. To her face, at least. The grandfather clock in the hall bonged loudly, four times, startling us both. Wretched clock... Becky muttered. I'm off to the baker. Finish sweeping in here and dusting. After that, polish the teapot and bring in the firewood. Don't stop moving, whatever you do.